Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you? Well, he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. God's word. Good God. Amen. Let me pray for us one more time. Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place through the power of your spirit because you are alive and well. You live in this space, you live every space, but um, I pray today that you'd give us spiritual receptivity to see you. Um, Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear who you are and what you've done and why we're here today on Easter and what this is about. So God, would you speak to us through the power of your name and your spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Happy Easter, everybody. All right. Happy Easter. Come on, guys. This is like Easter. This this is like an every Sunday greeting. Happy Easter, everybody. Come on. Come on. This is like your only chance. If you're new to church, this is like the Super Bowl for Christians for some reason. I don't know why. Um, It's kind of a big deal. It's when we celebrate and remember that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, So if you're new, welcome. I hope you feel at home here. My name is Brian. Um, We're so honored that you came to this place. Um, Maybe a friend was like, hey, let's go get donuts and coffee, and they brought you in this beautiful spot, and you're like, what is this? And you got drug here. I used to say I had a drug problem all my life because my mom drugged me to church. Um, And so so I understand if you're you're here braving that, I just want to say thank you. Um, and, tr- and just pray that you'd be able to just trust me for the next 30 minutes just to share with you and just be open to, to what I have to say. So um, I was trying to prepare for Easter this year, and obviously it's about Jesus' resurrection, right? And so I, I was just praying, and it's like sometimes as a pastor, you get this like, I kind of have this mixed feelings with Easter. You're like, I got to make this amazing. I got to make this sermon somehow really good, you know? It's like, no, it's Easter. I don't have to make it good. Like, it is good. And, and, and it's like, I was sitting preparing for this sermon in the coffee shop, and then um, I ran into a, a buddy of mine. Um, he, he doesn't have, I don't think he has any church background at all. Uh, and I was like, what are you doing? What are you working on? And we're just, you know, polite talk. He's like, oh, I'm working on a film festival. It's like something really cool and amazing. And he's like, well, what are you working on? I was like, oh, gosh. It's like, I'm, I'm working on a talk. I'm working on a talk for, he's like, well, what are you, what are you going to talk about? It's like, oh, gosh. Like, it's so, like the resurrection, and literally, like his like jaw dropped, and his eyebrows like popped off of his head. And he was like, "Well, what, what angle are you gonna 
talk about it from. I'm like, I don't know. What angle you do you think I should talk about it from? <laughs> it's, uh, he, he was like, well, I think, I, I think nobody really knows what that's about. And I was like, I think you're right. <laughs> it's, I agree with you. And, I, and I, I thought about that, and I was like, you know, outside the church, like, not a lot of people, I don't think, really know what the resurrection's about. But I think even more um, tragic is, like, in the church, do we even know what the resurrection's about? Do we know how to articulate it? Do we know how to explain it? Do we know how to, do we believe it, and do we surrender to it? And, and so um, I, there's this guy named Galen. He was a doctor back in the early couple of centuries. Um, he, he was not a Christian. He wrote a lot of books, um, a lot of books, uh, wrote a commentary on um, Plato's uh, the Republic, and a, he, he talked a lot of criticism towards Jews and Christians. Um, but he says something really praiseworthy of Christians. He, and he, at the end of his commentary on Plato's Republic, he gets to the very end, and he praises Christians for two things. One is their sexual restraint, how they're a community that have sexual restraint. We're not going to talk about that one today. I'm going to save that one for BAM. <laughs> and if you have any questions about that, email bam.stanton at missiodeschicago.com. <laughs> Uh, and he said the second thing is their belief in the resurrection. And I was just thinking, like, man, is that true of us at Missio Day? My prayer for us is that when Lincoln Square and Ravenswood in Chicago interacts with our church, they're like, that community actually believes in the resurrection. Those are the people who literally take it for real and believe it. They're resurrection people. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for this church that we would live as if the resurrection really happened. Wouldn't that be amazing if we could do that? Um, and, and in the story we read, it, it, it gets to the very beginning, and, we, and Tom read it, and the women, they approach the grave. They're approaching Jesus' dead body. They had to have so much mixed emotions, so much fear, so much anguish. I mean, the person, all of their hope was placed in, this Jesus, Messiah, God-man, who said he was going to reign and live forever, is now dead. In the grave, and they're coming um, to anoint his body. They're coming to prepare, um, to, to come and, and just pay homage and honor his body. And they get there, and they're, they're met with two, and two figures. And they, they, they freak out, and they get on their knees, and they fall down. And these angels <clears throat> ask the woman this question. They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I hate questions that somehow presume some kind of judgment upon you. You know, like, like, what, like that kind of question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? You know, and, and, and they're not. They're looking for the dead among the dead. They think they're going to Jesus because he's dead. They're like, we're not looking for the living among the dead. If we're looking for the living, we go out away from the grave in the tomb and we look for the living. But we're looking for the dead among the dead. We're looking for Jesus. And then, and, and then they, these angels, they're, they're kind of, I don't know if you ever see angels. Sometimes I, I see them as like these stand-up comics. Um, they're kind of cynical. They're like, he, they're like, he's not here. He's risen. And they're like, don't you remember what he said? And I'm like, no, we don't remember what he said. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here at the tomb looking for the dead man Jesus. And they're like, well, we don't remember what you said, right? And it's so funny to me that they're like, don't you remember what they said? Um, and they're like, Jesus said a lot of things. How am I supposed to remember them all? And he said, oh, wow. And so, you know, I can't imagine. They're probably running through their head, like, was it the whole salt and light thing? And the angel's like, no, not that one. They're like, was it the whole needle with the camel thing? They're like, no, not that one. And, and, and they're like, well, what is it? And they're like, the angel said, let me tell you. And it wasn't, Jesus said a lot of things in metaphors, right? 
Um, they're all about himself. He was like, this seed, if you take this seed and you put it in the ground and it, it'll die, but when it dies, it'll bring forth life. And they were like, and they, they, they're like, okay, that's cool. And they just moved on. And, he's like, and then he said some more absurd things. He's like, you see this temple? You destroy that temple? Um, in three days, I'll raise it again. And they're like, well, okay, that's really fast to raise up a temple, but okay, I understand what you're saying. But they didn't get it. They couldn't really picture what Jesus was trying to communicate. And the angel said, no, actually, literally, Jesus said um, in this passage in Luke. Uh, I, I, the next, next screen, if you don't mind. <clears throat> They said this. They said, don't you remember his words and all the things he told you? And, and, and now it was, it, it was that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. That's pretty literal. And be crucified. Okay, real, really, really straightforward. This is not abstract creative thinking here. This is just really linear thinking. And on the third day, raise again. Okay, now we got like time added here. And they remember, they, I love this. And then they remembered. They're like, oh, yeah, that thing he said. I remember that now. And then it says they returned from the tomb and then to the eleven. And then Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them told these things to the apostles. And, and so there's a thing about memory is a really tricky thing. Um, I, somehow or another, my wife remembers everything that I need to forget. I don't know if any other married couples have that experience. Um, there's a lot of things I've done that I, I, she'll tell me like to do things, and I'll say, yeah, I'll do them. Um, and then I really forget, or sometimes I don't forget and I just don't do them. Um, and she's like, you told me you were going to do this. I was like, I don't remember telling you that. And then I somehow, she remembers everything um, that, I, that I forget. And then um, she remembers things that I want to forget that happened years ago, and she still remembers. And, um, and so there's this thing with memory that if it's not in your future, if it's not determined for something you can see in the future, then you don't remember if it's not a part of your preferred future. And this is this moment where Jesus has died, and these women come with mixed emotions, and Jesus would have been at this tomb, and they had soldiers guarding this tomb because there was rumors that he said that he was going to raise again, and Roman soldiers were really good at what they did. They, they were really good at what they did, so they, they would have guarded this tomb, um, but yet Jesus is not there. And now they finally remember. Like the lights come on. Like we now remember what he said. We now remember everything that he was talking about and why he came. He is risen. And so this, this tension that, like, that was there, now they finally remember. They finally remember what Jesus was doing. Sometimes memory comes rushing in when reality actually explains everything we should have remembered. Like sometimes memory comes rushing in when reality of what you experience is like, that is real. That, that, that reminds me. That explains what I couldn't comprehend before, but now I remember. And as I just prayed in that coffee shop about what to tell you guys this morning, um, Jesus just told me to say, like, tell them I'm alive. And I'm like, okay, um, I think they know that one, most of them. Probably have heard that before. I'd like something a little bit better, Jesus. A little, something a little bit cooler than that. Like, no, I just want you to tell him I'm alive. That he's alive. He is alive. That's what I want to talk to you about today. And um, this, this, the fact that he is risen, he is here. And for some of you, some of you have really need to hear that today. Um, some of you have doubts about believing in Jesus and his death and resurrection. And, and we have a thing called Alpha meets every week. It meets this Wednesday. And it's 
I don't have time to get into the historical evidence, the, the, the logical evidence today, but there's a place for you for that. It's this Wednesday. And, and I'd love for you to check it out. I'd love to talk to you more. I'd love to give you books. If that's you, you're like, I just mentally can't get there. But others of you also need to hear this today, um, that you've gone through this horrible season of life. Like your life, your faith is dry. Your faith is dry in this season. You're exhausted and you need to hear this again today, that he is not dead. He is not the God of history. He is the God of today. And, for, and he's, his message is Jesus is alive it, and it is here for your life. He is your life. Jesus did not come to give you life. He came to give you God and God is life. And, and so for some of you, you're like, I still doubt. I don't even know if this is true. So if you're a guest here and you're thinking Jesus has like a myth or a legend, if you would just suspend judgment for a moment and imagine with me that God stepped into time, that he took on flesh, that every action he had was motivated by love, that he embodied truth perfectly, and that he found himself opposed by those who were offended at his embrace of the outsider because he embraced and loved the poor and accepted the outcast so much that they plotted against him and crucified him and marked him as a criminal and buried him and rose again. I just ask you to suspend your judgment for a minute and believe that this is true. And then I want you to know that even if we did believe this is true, even if we embraced this as true, there's a bigger question that haunts us all. The bigger question is, let's say that is true, and I believe it is. The bigger question is, how did someone dying and raising again 2,000 years ago have anything to do with my problems today? How do we answer that question? How did someone dying and raising again 2,000 years ago have anything to do with my problems? Because I've got problems. I've got at least one problem, don't you? I think all of us, if you just had one problem, we would be all be looking to you for wisdom. We'd be like, can you teach me? Master Yoda, please. Like, you have one problem. I'm coming to you. Some of you have two problems. I have three. I have at least three kids, so I at least have three problems. But imagine with me, let's just say everybody on the planet had one problem. That's seven billion problems. Seven billion problems that Jesus needs to fix. How in the world did Jesus' death and resurrection fix seven billion problems one person at a time? I think there's a more elegant way of looking at that. Because what if what Jesus did was he fixed one problem seven billion times? The one problem of the human race. The one problem of the human dilemma. And this started to get me to thinking about snowflakes, as all of you would. <laughs> and um, I just began to think about the beauty of a snowflake. Have you guys seen a snowflake under a microscope, like the pictures? They're incredible. Um, this doesn't do it justice because we don't have the good lighting. But they are immaculate. They are the most beautiful things you'll ever see. Um, and snowflakes, what got me thinking about that was uh, I, I saw a TED talk on fractals. Anybody seen fractals? Talked about fractals lately? At the water cooler, shooting the breeze, just talking about fractals. Fractals, if you don't know, they're these like repeated patterns that happen over and over again, but then get smaller. So I thought Easter was a great day to talk about math. Um, so what a snowflake is, is these like these, these repeated patterns that happen continually, repeatedly, forever and ever and ever. So let me explain. All right, so you got a triangle. Draw a triangle upside down. Then you add what? Another triangle. And then what do you think is going to happen next? Another triangle, but where? Oh, there. 
It's, it's magical. <clears throat> and then another triangle. And they keep on the ends growing and repeatingly until an ongoing feedback loop that is never ending. And you have a snowflake. It happens something like that. The palm of your hands are, in a sense, a fractal. You have fractals everywhere you look now. I just see them everywhere. All right? Like a lightning is a fractal. The fact that like that one stroke of lightning then continues in the same pattern continues. Peacocks. Next time you go, the peacocks, fractals. <laughs> Broccoli, fractals. It's just this repeating <laughs> thing. It's just, no, it's everywhere in my head. It's just ongoing. And it's this beautiful thing. A fractal is this never-ending pattern. And I just thought, is it possible that what God did at the cross and the resurrection is he initiated a universal pattern. Like this universal pattern that needs to be repeated in every life and in every person on this earth. This pattern of death and resurrection. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, if we put that on the screen. He says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him for death for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Next, next screen. But if, you, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit... I'm sorry, not, not this green. <laughs> They're looking for another one. Um, there should be some other sixes in there, <laughs> Romans 6. Let me pull it up from the Bible here. Um, what I want to show you is this. He says this in verse, verse 1. This is the first verse I want to read. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. All right? So he introduces a concept I just want to explain, baptism. Maybe not all of you are maybe culturally familiar with it, but not completely familiar with it. Um, when G Jesus gave two images that we would have as the church to constantly remember him for the rest of eternity, the rest of our time on this earth, two images. The one is communion, and one is baptism. Communion is this image that remembers his crucifixion. It's his, he says he took the bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the wine, and he says, this is my blood spilt for you. It's, it's barbaric. It's archaic. But Jesus said, this is what you're to do as long as you meet. And that's the crucifixion. And then there's this other image, and it's a water grave. It's baptism. It's this image that that Jesus died and rose again, but there's a water grave, and for anybody who believes, you're to be baptized. You're for once and for all. For God died once and for all, so you go under the water, dead to sin, and raised to new life. And what this is is a metaphor of Jesus' life when you do this. You are painting a picture of Jesus' life, that Jesus died and he rose again, but it's also a metaphor of your story, that you, in your life, died to your old self. You died to your old way. And Jesus, by his grace, raised you to new life. He raised you to a new life. And that's beautiful. It's beautiful imagery. And it's a, it's a pattern. It's a, it's a fractal. That Jesus' resurrection 
would continue in your life and the thousands of resurrections would happen in your life. And this cycle would just continue and continue because it matches the nature of the way God created this world. And, and so this is the power of Jesus' resurrection. And he, 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 he has raised you up to give you this life. And all these patterns are all throughout Scripture. Adam and Eve, the very beginning, when they, they, they rebelled against God and they were in their shame. Some of you have, are constantly hearing voices of shame. Every day is just a battle, an exhaustion with yourself to just stop the voices of shame. And, and for them, they experienced it as the first ones, probably so heightened, that they covered themselves with fig leaves. They just did not know what to do. And God said, I'm going to take an animal. Again, it's very archaic, but I'm going to take an animal, I'm going to slaughter it, and I'm going to take that cloth, and I'm going to cover you over you so you don't have to cover over your sin. I'm going to take care of that. And then it created this pattern where God's like, I'm trying to set up a pattern here. I'm trying to show you something, that this is the way I work. And then he, he created this altar system. It was, it was broken, but it worked for them until the time to remind them. I used to think it was weird that Jesus, God needed some kind of sacrifice. God doesn't need a sacrifice. That was for us to remember that, that blood must be shed for when there's been this rebellion, that there's brokenness in this world, and that God is a God that's present with you and loves you and, and wants to give his life to you and sacrifice himself for you. And, and it was this, this pattern to be shown. And so they would take a lamb and they would they would take it and they would burn it on this altar and fire would consume it. And they would sprinkle the blood in the middle of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of peace, was an, a temple. In the center of that temple was the Holy of Holies. And in the center of the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And they would sprinkle that blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And then one day, John would come, this guy named John the Baptist. And he could like, the problem is we can't see God, but somehow he was able just to he saw Jesus. He's like, that's the Lamb of God. That's the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. It was a pattern. It was a fractal. God saying, this is how life works. That in order for there to be life, there must be death. And that's our dilemma. Our dilemma is that in Romans 6, it says this, for we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall also certainly be united in a resurrection like his. Now we love that part. I want to be united in a resurrection like his. Yay. But none of us want to be united in a death like his. And so he says, if you want this resurrection life, you have to follow the pattern. You've got to follow the pattern, the way life works. That, like, you have to die. And the problem is in our culture is we spend our entire life avoiding death, and we're swimming in death. And he's like, I just want you to know that you have to die. If you're here this morning, I, I just, I, I beckon you to, like, to, to hear what I heard one day, which was to surrender, to come and die to come and die. Um, it's this, this pattern that happens with sin that continues. And, and the same fractal, the same pattern happens in us, in our life. We have this, this pattern of, 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 of sin. He uses this, this word sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Oh, it's such a judgy word, right? Whenever we hear the word sin, usually we use it for like chocolate, right? It's like, oh, such a sin. It's like a dessert now. Like sin is a dessert. <clears throat> But it's a judgy word when we hear it in church. We feel judgment automatically. You hear, oh gosh, talking about sin. And let me just explain sin from this, this pattern. Because it's a self-replicating thing, and its scale replicates. Sin is the self-destructive pattern in your life. It's the self-destructive pattern that destroys relationships, that destroys hope, that destroys love, that destroys 
peace. It is the self-destructing pattern in our lives. And it destroys us. And you have this self-repeating pattern. We all have it. You know what's funny? When you, have you, ever, you ever talk about God and you're like, oh, God's the one who keeps me from all my freedom. I just want to be free. I want to be creative. I want to have all this freedom. And we're not even creative in our sin. We do the same sin again and again and again. Like, why should we choose a different sin? Like, if we're really creative and really free, we should be like, this sin this day, this sin this day. And it's like, no, we can't even do that. We have the same sin over and over again. It's crazy. And, and it's this pattern that everybody knows it. And the people that are really close in your life are like, why do you keep doing the same thing? And you're like, I thought it would stop, but I can't. I wish I could end it, but I, it doesn't. I want it to be gone, but it won't. Let me explain it this way. Let's say there's someone who offends you. There's an offense, and you're wronged, and you feel betrayed. And that betrayal then turns into bitterness because you've let it simmer. And that bitterness then turns into anger. And you're angry towards them. You wish harmful things for them. And then that anger turns in to something more. It, it turns into hatred. You actually wish that they would be removed from your presence. And that hatred then turns in to murder. And that murder turns into violence. And that violence turns into war. And that war turns into genocide. And we only call it the human problem when we see it at genocide and we see it at war and we see it at violence. But when it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, it becomes us. Don't you see that the, the problem of this world is the human pattern on a big scale? That's the problem with this world. And what Jesus said is, I have come to end all that, I've come to undo all that, I've come to create a new pattern, I've come to create a new life, that if you die to that, I'll give you a resurrection life, I'll give you a new life. You'll be alive to God. I remember the first time, I feel like there's many conversions in people's lives. For me, there's two. Two things. One was a belief thing, like to finally say, okay, the whole death, resurrection of Jesus thing, like the fact that God came, I will get behind that, I believe in that. There was that moment. And that was hard, um, but I was young, and it was, and, and I wrestled with it over time, but it's still, like, it's hard, but there was something way harder, and that was, like, surrendering my life, surrendering my life, that, that you can believe intellectually, but what was really hard was, like, okay, I'm actually going to surrender to that, I'm going to surrender that, and it was, I remember, um, yeah, I, I, I got, it took me getting arrested, I was, I was just shipwrecked, um, I, I was just at the end of my rope, and I, I was still wanting to hold on to my life. I still wanted to hold on to my, my dreams. I, I wanted to be sovereign. I wanted to be in control. I wanted my life. And God's like, I can take all that and give you real life. And I was like, no, I, I want my life. I, I want me. And God's like, but if you give up all that, I'll give you hope. I'll give you faith. I'll give you joy. I'll pour my life and love inside of you. And it, it was hard, but it, it was a moment of surrender. And that's what God's inviting us to today, this Easter. For some of you, it's for some of you, that's for the first time. He's saying, just surrender to me. Surrender to my love. For some of you, it's like I've I need to surrender again. Like I'm just, I have like stopped seeing Jesus as like this person I surrender and love, but it's just become a religious thing. And God's like, it's time to remove religion because religion 
is not what I came to bring. I came to bring you life and life to the fullest. And so he, he, he's here with this resurrection power, this new pattern, this new life that he's coming to give. And in Romans 8, it says this. I love this. Romans 8. I'm almost done. Romans 8. But if Christ is in you, that's the offer, by the way. That's the solution to the human problem. Life doesn't come from God. Life comes in God. God doesn't give you life. He gives you himself, which is life. And if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of the righteousness, that even though your body is dead because of sin, that's a pattern that we can't stop. Every one of us are going to die. One out of one of us, 100%. All right? It's a reoccurring pattern. Everyone on this earth is going to die. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I must not have read that completely right. Because if you got that, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, that would be that blow your mind. Because what happened when Jesus died is all of your fractal sin, all of your patterns, all of your shame, all of your fear, all of your guilt was placed on him. And that fear, that sin, that guilt couldn't hold him down. Come on. It could not hold him down. He rose from the dead. And he raised your life. And it will not end. It will go on forever. Have you ever just, I don't know if you've ever had a hard season, just been exhausted, just feel like nothing is going right. And you're like, God, I just need something. I need a coffee. I need a little something, something. I need a boost. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I don't know. You don't need any other power. That's enough. It dwells in you. And what's important is this, that it's not a power you get just when you die. It's a power available now. And God sees us as mortals. He sees us as graves, every one of you. And I think that's why he came to die, because he's an expert at raising the dead. He's an expert at raising the dead. And in this story, we must join Jesus in a death like his, so we can join with Jesus in a resurrection like his. We must join him. John Calvin said this, As long as Christ remains outside of us, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless. All that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. Um, When I was a freshman in college, I went to Africa for four months. And um, I I went because I was young and naive and thought I was going to save all these people. Um, And they saved me. And... um, and, and they came, they, they, they heard about Jesus too. But there's this moment where I was just having like, just one of those horrible days. And I went up to this cliff to pray. And I went up here to pray in this cliff. And I was just like, God, why, like, why did you bring me here? Like these people, like, I don't see any progress. Even my team that I'm with, like, I don't really enjoy them. <laughs> I'm lonely. I'm here by myself in the middle of Africa and the third poorest country in the world. Why did you do this to me, God? And I expected this power, this glory to come down, this amazing voice, this amazing thing where God was just going to sweep me up and be like, you're going to do awesome, Brian. You're amazing. And then these vultures started to like <laughs> fly around me, literally. 
And as you know, vultures come when they eat like fresh, dead things. And so God was like, I brought you here to die. I brought you to Africa to die. And ever since then, I've been repeating that pattern. And that's what the Christian life is. It's repeating that pattern so that you can get out of that water grave and raise to newness of life. Amen? Amen. And so my prayer today is that for you, that the resurrection, it is, it is, it's got the last word in your life. It is Jesus retelling the human story. And so resurrection says that infertility does not have the last word. Resurrection says your loneliness does not have the last word. Resurrection says your broken marriage does not have the last word. Resurrection says that your label, that you, you just feel like you have the scarlet letter on your shirt, that does not have the last word. Easter has the last word. Jesus' resurrection has the last word. And he's come to bring you life and life to the full. I love how Isaiah says it. Isaiah 50, 25, verse 8. He's speaking roughly 700 years before Jesus walked on earth. And he gave his life and rose again 700 years before that. And if the band could just come, come on up. <clears throat> he says this. I love this. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord and King will wipe away the tears from everyone's face. He will remove the shame of his people from the whole earth. The Lord has spoken. What's crazy to me is there's faith groups out there that motivate with guilt and shame, and yet Jesus said, I have come to actually remove shame. Yeah. And he's not come here to have, there's no shame in Jesus' kingdom. There's no shame in Jesus' resurrection. And it's a beautiful thing, what God has done. And so, if you're here today and you feel the brokenness of those patterns, God is leaning into you. He's not running from you. He's leaning into you. My prayer for you is just you just lean into God. You'd lean back into him. That You'd have the faith and the trust to not only believe, but just surrender. And this reoccurring pattern of Jesus' death and resurrection is the same pattern he wants to recreate in you and in me and in this church. But because it's not that just he is risen. We are risen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I, uh, <clears throat> I come before you just knowing that we're all here. We all need life. God, you are alive, alive, alive. You are so alive. And I know you're here this morning, and like, I want to know some of you, if you've ever been to church, you know this is this time where like, we bow our head, we close our eyes, we pray, ask you to think of some things. You know, you know the things. But some of you are here, and you know it's time. <laughs> okay? You know it's time to surrender to God. And if you're feeling that, I don't know... I don't know how else to describe what it feels like except for me, but it's just this feeling in your gut that, you, that says, you can't ignore this any longer. can't ignore this any longer. I just want to... Jesus has come to offer you life, but he's asking you to re respond to him.
to make a small act of faith, a small act, a small act of, of surrender. And um, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you're like, I, I, want, I can't ignore this any longer. Um, I can't, I can't uh, ignore this feeling of God pursuing me. Um, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I, I know this is cliche, but I just, I believe God honors acts of faith and I can't ignore it. So if that's you, if you're like, I want, I can't ignore this. I need to surrender to Jesus for the first time. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Raise it high so I can just pray for you. Just raise it up. Say, I want to follow Jesus, surrender my life to him. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Just keep it up. If that's you, I want to invite you to say this prayer with me, a simple prayer. You say it however you want. Just like one sentence. It says, Jesus... I give you my life. I want you to be my life. Thank you for dying for my rebellion. I receive your grace. I now call you Father God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. I want to live my life and surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Others of you, as we pray, just, man, I don't know about you, but I just feel this resurgence of surrendering to God. May God's love embody you today. As we take communion, as we pray over you, would you just feel a resurgence of surrender come upon you? Like, I want to surrender again. I want to feel that. I want to step out in faith again. I want to take risk again because the resurrection's here. I invite you into that story. We invite you into the life of Jesus, that resurrection will be the last word of your life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you guys stand with me as we sing and worship? We're going to sing, we're going to worship. If you raise your hand, we'd love just for you to mark Jesus on your little card right here so we can follow up with you. Or if you didn't raise your hand and you wanted to follow up more about, know who Jesus is, just could you put your name and email and mark this card so we can just get coffee, get a drink. We'd love to talk to you. Um, we're going to now take communion to my left, your right. And I want I like sometimes to give everybody little challenges, right? I want to give you a little challenge. Today on Easter, as you take communion, as you take his body, it's broken for you and his blood shed for you. I want you to rem- we're not going to get baptized again. So I thought about, you know, something that we could do with that. But could you just say out loud, hallelujah, he is risen after you take communion? You don't have to say it out loud. I want you to say it out loud. You can murmur it. You can whisper it. You can shout it. But I want it to come out of your lips. Hallelujah, he is risen. Just do that as you feel that as we sing. There's prayer in the back. If you want, like, I want to surrender. I believe, but I have not been surrendering my life to Jesus lately. We want to pray over you. We want to pray God's promises over you and his love over you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. Let's worship.